Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the offices of Publishers Weekly uh, and PW <laughs> Comics World in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the Comics Review Editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor of The Beat, the news blog of comics culture at www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Simmons. I'm podcast producer, and I write for both PW Comics World and sometimes The Beat. This week on More to Come, Joe Kubert passes uh, one of the greats uh, of the comics industry. Uh, MoCA, more information on uh, their merger with the Society of Illustrators. Um, color print on demand has never been so inexpensive. Uh, and we have uh, the Ignat nominations. And uh, news briefs from Kate. And let's get right to it. Um, Joe Kubert. Well, yes, the industry is mourning one of its greats this week uh, with the passing of Joe Kubert um, at age 84, I believe it was. Uh, I think, was it, you know, I'm not sure. I think it was 84 or 86. Yeah, yeah. 84 or 86. But um, he passed away on Sunday. Apparently, he'd been suffering from multiple myeloma for a while. and um, But uh, at the same time, I do know that, that it did become as uh, a, sh- a little bit of a surprise to people. I know it wasn't, you know... It was not that he was taken so ill that people were thinking this was going to be the final time. But anyway, one of the greatest artists of the superhero era, uh, no question about it. Um, a guy who started working at age 12 or 13. Uh, he didn't quite remember where or when. But, um, you know, as a child of immigrants, he came to the city and uh, loved drawing so much that he was allowed to hang out in the offices, these sweatshops, and, you know, learned his trade there. So and then went on for for more than 50 years, for 60 years to, to draw comics. And, I mean, if you look at his work, just the, the consistency is unbelievable. Yeah. The quality and consistency, I, I can't think of anyone And such an identifiable it. style that, that obviously he shifted based on what genre he was working in, but still, a Kubert comic was just obvious. Uh, uh, you saw, you uh, knew it immediately. Yes, his style was unmistakable. Um, his line work, uh, probably his greatest creation, Sergeant Rock. Yeah. Um, the great World War II. He, he co-created with the writer Robert Kaniger. He started yeah. starting Men at War, that iconic uh, DC book. Um, other characters that he he had a hand in was Hawk Hawkman, um, Ragman, I believe. Uh, Tor was his yes, own yes. creation for Jan St. John in the fifties, which would come back over the years. Uh, and the various sizes. Tarzan, yes, an unmistakable mm-hmm. uh, run on that, and uh, just everything else. I mean, the guy worked on everything. He did everything, yes. <laughs> and um, along the way, he became a teacher as well. Oh yes, of course. The uh, the the, the Cupert School, or am I, I'm not sure that I'm giving the precise name of it. Yeah, I believe it's now known just as the Cupert School. But I mean, graduated. I mean, one great comics artist after another, including his his uh, two sons, yes, uh, Adam, Adam and Andy. Andy yes. uh, I think the Beat had a list of uh, yeah, yeah. Of There's graduates. A, there is a website up there. In the initial graduating class, I included uh, Rick Veach, um, Steve Bissett. I'm trying to find it here. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Tom Yates. Uh, they were all right in the uh, the opening class. So, so, Kate, were you a Kubert fan? Yes, I am a huge Sergeant Rock fan. I mean, you don't, when you hear people talk about Sergeant Rock, you hear about really sort of the overly stylized late Sergeant Rock, where it's, you know, it's almost superhero comic. That is not what Sergeant Rock is at his heart. Like, go back, read the, the first, like, 
two showcase volumes which just came out from DC the other year. It's amazing. It is much more complex and interesting than you might think. It's not just like rah-rah, things blow up. Like, read it. The art is perfect. The writing is perfect. It could be published today without any changes. Wow. They yeah. were great it's, more it's, it's true. Those were the comics uh, when I was a kid that really just blew me away. And I was obsessive about finding every Sergeant Rock as soon as it came yeah. out. Yeah, they yeah. were before their time. Sergeant Rock and Easy Company. Uh, just... The drawings, uh, the writing, uh, the 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 evocation of war that was so much different than every, than really other the other comics. I'm also a huge Jack Kirby fan, but you know I never could look at you know um, uh, the Howling Commandos, uh, Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos in, in the same way. No, I mean that, that was, was a cartoon in comparison with these uh, amazing. Um, Fictional yes. recreations of war. Yeah. Well, Kaniger, Kaniger was an apt um, yeah. collaborator for Hubert in that case. They I were perfect. His for story, each other. yeah, they really were. You know, yeah. but Kaniger was as disliked as Hubert was loved. I mean, it's hard to find. I, I mean, no one, uh, nobody dissed Joe Hubert. Um, uh, he was just so loved, so respected. Um, and you know, while I was doing my own uh, post on him for the beat. I was looking for art, and uh, it's just unbelievable how consistently wonderful and imaginative. I mean, the guy drew, aside from these war stories, he also drew, uh, you know, barbarians and fantasy. Yeah. I mean, that was his yeah. other bailiwick. And, and the, the fantasy comics are drawn with the same level of believability yeah. and realism. Uh, I mean, it's like, it just you know, so you, perfect. it is, and you say draw a pterodactyl fighting a mammoth, and he just drew it, and <laughs> it of course, perfect. that's how it looked. And and his inventiveness and create, creativity uh, continued right up until Yeah, yeah. Death. I mean, I he mean, was doing, uh, he had done his own um, his own uh, graphic novels. Uh, probably yeah. the best of them is Yossel. That's probably, yeah. that's mm. probably the most impressive. Mm. I, I really like the, that was it, Deng Xiao, Vietnam Yes, Deng Xiao is also excellent. I, I really liked it. Yeah. And, but, you know, in fact, some Sar- Sarajevo has his problems, but still, I mean, he embraced the graphic novel form completely. And it, there's nothing Joe Cooper has done that isn't impressive. Right. Even if you have some, you know, quibbles uh, about something here and there. Uh, that I, that was still a book that I I read from cover uh, to cover. Absolutely, and and coming out in a couple months' time, he had been uh, working with DC on a new series, uh, collecting some of the, the oddities, including the Redeemer, a book that was too hot to handle when it was first pitched in the seventies, uh, as you might guess from the title. So the Redeemer is actually finally going to see print after more than thirty years, and so there is more to come from Kubert. But um, you know, when a guy is in his eighties. Uh, you don't expect him to live forever, but uh, we it all was sure a great run. We sure hope that he would. And um, actually, you know, very quickly, I found the uh, the list here of uh, the uh, Cuban School's first graduating class on the beat: Steve Bissett, um Rick Veach, Tim Yates. Um, that's in the initial graduating class. But other graduates include Amanda Connor, Tom Mandrake, Timothy Truman, Matt Hollingsworth, Tim Truman, Alex Alex Maley, uh, Ke- uh, Kevin Colden, Eric Shanauer. And on and on yeah. and on. Yes, not not to be forgotten, yes. never forgotten. Uh, so a great, one of the great comic book artists of all time. 
Next, uh, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art in um, merging. Uh, I guess it was a, a full acquisition. Well, I, I <laughs> wouldn't the say... Illustrated. You went up to talk with I the... I uh, would not say that merge yeah. is actually the right word. <laughs> yeah. I would say that as they put that Society of Illustrators has acquired all yeah. of the assets full of MOCA. absorption. Yes, yeah. absorption. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there really is no MOCA. Now, I haven't mm-hmm. spoken to MOCA... The MOCA board members are the trustees, which are two separate groups. I have spoken to a couple of them, uh, just informally. And, the, you know, after this transfer process is completed, they are not going to be involved with MOCA anymore. So they're not going to be, like, involved from, no? No. Not in the new incarnation, no. they're not? No. no. Now, the Society of Illustrators, uh, for those who don't know, is a very well-established, more than uh, 100 years old, uh, organization that is located on the, uh, I guess you could say the Upper East Side, although it's more like Bloomingdale's territory, uh, the middle Upper West, Upper East okay. Side, um, and they own their own building, uh, mm-hmm. which tells you that illustrators in the past had a lot more money than cartoonists, uh, you know, to own a brownstone in uh, what is uh, literally one of the world's most expensive neighborhoods. Uh, it's a beautiful building. It has, I think, Four floors and a basement. Uh, they hold exhibits in the basement and the first floor. There's a bar, a restaurant. They have an exhibit space. It's really well equipped. They have an operating budget of over a million dollars a year. They 1.3 have million. $1.3 million, right? So, um, you know, they are also a nonprofit. You can go online and look at their books, which I haven't done yet. Um, you know, by contrast, what was MOCA's operating? 300000 300, Most of which went towards uh, the MOCA Fest. And the rent. And the rent. And, um, you know, as uh, Susie Cagle pointed out, uh, $20,000 in phone bills. Um, Wait, how did that happen? I don't know, but they don't have Skype, I guess. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, a mystery there. But uh, anyway, um, as I understand it, um, there will be, I mean, MOCA's given their art to Society of Illustrators. And, you know, they have a amazing collection of top-flight illustrations by Rockwell, Flag, Landecker, you know, all the golden, the golden greats, um, including stuff by, um, illust- uh, cartoonist illustrators such as Al Cap and Milton Kniff are also housed in the Society of Illustrators. Um, but yeah, that's it. They're pretty much taking over. And, you know, there's an age old, uh, class warfare, I guess you could say, between illustrators and cartoonists. Because, you know, illustrators were considered the 1% and cartoonists were considered the no percent. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this is, you know, in some ways, uh, redolent of uh, ancient competition, uh, but uh, I talked to Anel Millers, who is the the director of Society of Illustrators, and she is she's very um, proactive, pragmatic lady. Um, she's planning see up- comics as a way to yes. bring yes. new audiences into yes. uh, into the Society of yes. Illustrators building and into their programming. Yes. So, yeah. so they, they so, seem to be thinking of it in terms of using it as programming and even yes, having a absolutely. permanent collection. Uh, yes, and they already have. They already mm-hmm. have been doing comics events there, which have been very well attended. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, in some ways, as the illustration field uh, has dwindled, which is, you know, totally true. I mean, nobody makes the money they used to there. And, you know, the cartooning has come up. Now they're almost on a level playing field. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely a very symbolic... Uh, so, Acquisition, absorption, takeover, merger, whatever you want to name it. Yeah. Um, Except you, when it you, comes to their fortresses of solitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. could see it as, you know, class warfare, or you could see it as finally getting the recognition yes. it deserves. Yes, yes, And yes. admitting that they... And you could also see it as a, uh, a massive save uh, for an organization that uh, seemed to be uh, troubled and, <laughs> and who it only seemed uh, uh, to alienate more and more people um, 
every year. Um, and that generated an awful lot of concern about the direction of uh, Mocha Fest. Yes. Which uh, we assume will continue uh, under new management. Right. And uh, I, when I talked to Miller, she was, um, you know, she had not let, yet looked into all the details of taking over Mocha Fest, the financials of it. Um, but, um, you know, they definitely put on a lot of events there. I mean, I, I, certainly Society of Illustrators, they already have an infrastructure. I mean, they have, like, assistants and interns and, <laughs> and employees people, and employees and people who do things. So, you know, I, I think they're actually really well equipped. And what I would hope is that people in the cartooning industry, um, you know, who sometimes take a, uh, a hands-off approach to things and like let them stew in there, let them, let them make their own juices so they can stew in it sort of approach. I would hope that they would be a little bit more proactive there. If you didn't like the way things were running at Mocha before, Here's a chance to make your voice heard and running things moving forward. Yeah, so it's you know, a positive manner. Yes, in a positive manner. So yeah. you know, it's it's. I think there will be more uh, more to come on this, but uh, certainly more social activity. Yeah. I think there will be more exhibits. It's 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 evolving. Yeah. yeah. The only concern is that they will, as long as the director remains, and whenever a new director comes in, that they won't lose interest in comics and right. You know, tail off. Program. Well, they're setting up a, a Mocha permanent collection. Yes, yes. On one, one, of, of the one of their galleries. Yes, yeah. they are. So, so. Uh, obviously, that's always possible. Um, yeah. Maybe that's why um, uh, the comics community in New York needs to turn out in, in a big well, way I, and show their faces. Yes, there. absolutely. I will say this: uh, in looking at just the makeup of the graduating class at SVA, where cartooning is a subscript of the illustration. Uh, um, mm-hmm. program, uh, you find now that comics and illustration are pretty much everybody does both of them. Mm. I mean, <laughs> there's very few pure illustrators anymore. And so um, I think the natural evolution of this is just going to be that these two disciplines are very much, um, you know, stable mates. So. And the and the MOCA classes have been transferred, obviously, Absolutely, up there, too. Yes. So that Starting remains in intact with yes. Danny Fingeroff and others. Teaching classes. So, uh, more to come more, on that. More to come. Um, let's see, where are we at? Uh, uh, color print on demand. Amazing, um, amazing. Uh, uh, Ingram, um, uh, Ingram Content Group, uh, and its subdivision, really, Lightning Source, which is a POD division of, um, uh, of Ingram Content Group, announced a, 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 a really amazing, although obviously this has been uh, anticipated because the price of print on demand in general and the technology itself has been getting better and cheaper all the time. Uh, announced uh, a price drop in color POD uh, two thirds. Uh, it's bound to have an amazing effect. Okay, Calvin, explain to our listeners what POD is and who Ingram are. Uh, Ingram uh, Ingram Content Group is the biggest, uh, most gigantic, gigantic and huge <laughs> wholesaler. Of books, uh, certainly in the U.S., probably in the world. Uh, and by that, I mean they're a wholesaler. Now they do have a smaller unit that is a distribution service, in the, in the, in the sense that they take on specific publishers and market and sell their works to retailers. But Ingram itself is a massive wholesaler. You can get any book about anything from them. Uh, uh, lightning Don't they also source. do library bindings also? Uh, I think that is a part of what they do. Right. I mean, there are a number of other wholesaler distributors that right. focus on the library right. market. Okay. Uh, but, you know, Ingram does everything. Right. They're so big, they do everything. Um, <clears throat> uh, lightning Source is a print-on-demand unit. Print-on-demand being 
Basically, the book is not made until somebody buys it. Uh, now, it also stands for short run. It's also used for short run printing, and that's simply where instead of one book, you know, maybe you print a, a case, or maybe you print a hundred right. uh, for special occasions or for specific orders, uh, or a thousand. They can do it all. And the technology, I mean, about three or four years ago, I went down to their uh, plant in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to do a story about this. And four years ago, it was amazing. The price, uh, for certainly for black and white POD, had dropped dramatically. Um, uh, it, it had also uh, spurred the growth of virtual publishers. There's any number of publishers on the web now that you can go to and you can either, say, buy public domain um, books, uh, have them have next day shipping. Uh, and until you push the buy button, that book does not exist. Uh, 15 minutes later, it does. Uh, 24 hours later, it's in the mail to you. All right. Um, uh, well, there, there is another variation on it that's, that's, uh, that's slipping out of my mind right now. That said, um, print, uh, uh, PLD color has been coming up. It's generally more expensive, but now this is a game changer. Well, right. Now, the the, the price has, has dropped from about $12 for, say, let's say, a 160-page trade, which would be like six issues of a comic, so a very uh, typical size. So it's dropped from about $12 per unit to... Three to five. Three to five dollars per unit. Now, if you order 500, it's about three dollars. So, I mean, figure that out. Now, uh, we have not yet seen the samples with our own eyes, uh, Todd Allen, who wrote a story about this for uh, for Publishers Weekly, um, has seen the seen the samples. He, this Ingram has two levels. They have their standard printing and then the the higher quality one. So, which is the still bit more expensive. Um, he says the standard printing it looks like a white newsprint. Perhaps you know, there's a little bit of bleed mm-hmm. through. The color is a little bit less saturated. So, I mean, it's not like. You know, I can tell you right now, Drone Quarterly is not yes, suddenly not, going to switch over. Not going to switch over. You know, I mean, <laughs> however, uh, uh, it sounds like uh, it'll be awfully viable for people who are just looking to keep things in print to bring it mm-hmm. back. And you know, I mean, it's 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 just revolutionary because you will really just be able to go out in the bazaar. I mean, the idea of being out of print is pretty much. I mean, it's, we it's all know to, it's already. I mean, this was yeah. going to happen anyway. Yeah. Okay. But it's here, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. And well, it, it, in fact, I mean, you know, ebooks have almost made going out of print uh, an archaic term. But certainly, we're reaching a point where, indeed, print going right. out of right. print <laughs> will never happen right. uh, again. Uh, and then, once again, five years from now, we'll probably be talking about another an amazing uh, leap right. in technology. Print on demand, in my view, is going to really change the economics of the book industry because the science. Fictional aspect of POD will uh, really projects to a landscape where shipping huge quantities of books from one end of the globe to other is likely to disappear. You may end up with a network of regional warehouses where books are are, are printed only in the places where they are going to be sold and only at the numbers that they know will be sold. Right, uh, including at the individual bookstore level, and you see that today with the. Uh, uh, what is it called? The Express... Espresso Book Machine. Thank you. Espresso Book Machine. Uh, McNally Jackson <coughs> in bookstore in New York actually has one. And I've seen yeah. it. It's amazing. Um, I've, I've sort of like, yes, what could I put uh, in there? You and know? they basically get a book, uh, you can buy a book and have it printed in about 15 does, minutes. How much does it cost? It's cheap. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's re- re- relatively cheap, uh, between 10 and $20. It's, it's equivalent to a trade paperback. Right. 
usual price. Right, right. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're I mean, we're looking at prices that are well within what people consider normal, um, and you know, coming down to uh, very, very economical. So, so um, yes, yeah, people can actually make a profit off. Right. Them. So, I, I mean, a lot of people I've talked to briefly about this, and let's just say people are excited. Well, and one suggestion that was on Heidi's post on the subject on the beat was from uh, her frequent writer, Torsten Adair, who suggested that, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that publishers with a large back catalog of things which are not in print could even just make those digitally available on their site to be assembled right. into print-on-demand yeah. volumes as customers request them. I think it's them. very likely. I saw that in... in I yeah. think it's very likely. I mean, one of the other kinds of publishers that you find in POD are photo books. Mm-hmm. I and mean, you can go online and find um, a number of these virtual publishers where you basically go in and you create your own book. Mm-hmm. And it's printed out. And once again, drop shipped to you the very next I'm going to do that with my, my iPhoto photos. I mean, wow, in the future, uh, Dan Nadell may, may not like it, yeah. but... Everyone will yeah. be a publisher. Well, uh, speaking of publishing, um, there's more to come in that. But uh, just quickly, um, talking about the Ignatz Award nominees came yeah. out this uh, this week, and um, finally, uh, Love and Rockets number four received some yes. major nominations. And Jaime Hernandez story uh, returned to me. Finally, finally, uh, you know, whereas other awards had uh, had uh, turned their nose up at this Very odd, seminal but there you have. masterpiece of comics. Um, and uh, I thought they were really outstanding. I mean, they had a great uh, a great um, nominating committee as they did. But I mean, it was nice to see a book like uh, My Friend Dahmer, which we have yes. talked about uh, endlessly here. On, yes. But we love the book; it's a yes. really a great it's book, a really great and it book. comes out from Abrams. And, and you know, it's great to see it get get uh, kind of a literary uh, recognition from the from the Ignatzes. Yeah, um, I, I admit I'm rooting for Hernandez to win over Thompson in the outstanding artist category because I, I feel like <laughs> it should definitely win over Habibi. Right. Well, yes. Well, that's right. Although it is, they are, yes, well, it's, it's like, you know, your team on the Olympics. Only yeah. this is like <laughs> comics version where you're rooting yeah. for your favorites. Um, well, uh, I did, I'd like to just give a, little, a shout out to um, uh, the, the guy, that, well, really, uh, Josh Frankel at the Zip Comics and Top Shelf. They, they, and they're, they're co-publishing of Harvey Picard's Cleveland. Yes, that got uh, also another very really nice, and Joe very Rim, nice, the, the yes, young artist. Yes, that, uh, a really um, excellent, excellent yeah. coverage and um, nice. So uh, this is great, and you know, ch- check them out uh, yeah. online. Uh, there's a, I mean, uh, I've read probably about eighty percent of the books on there, and there's not a stinker of, among those. So yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah, not. Yeah. Uh, you're not there's a few be- here I haven't read, so I, I can't claim that higher percentage. But I, I've certainly read uh, a few of them. Um, I mean, some of the ones that you obviously expect to be on the big questions uh, by Anders Nielsen, Hark of Vagrant. Uh, these are that's in the anthology category. Um, you mentioned um, my friend Dahmer, Troop One Forty Forty Two by Mike Dawson. Yeah, another another um, excellent book, outstanding graphic yeah. novel category. So, um, yeah, this yeah. is great, yeah. and um, we will uh, more to come. Yes, we'll Re- see more about this at the yes. Small Press Expo yes. in September. Now, news briefs time. 2080, known in Britain as the publisher of the Judge Dredd series among a wide variety of sort of futuristic sci-fi comics and classics, is now going day and date digital with its own app and also on Comixology. Speaking of blasts from the past in, in Britain, 
Alan Moore is making his first Comic-Con of attendance in 25 years. Wow. At the NICE, that is, say, North Ants International Comics Expo uh, in Britain. He is doing it to support the Northamptonshire Libraries. He will give a talk, and you may attend if you bring a donation of a graphic novel for the library. He wants to build a better collection of graphic novels in local libraries across the area. You know, just to, th- to throw in here, I mean, this is his first Comic-Con in, like, nearly 30 years. But, um, uh, you know, it, it does, like, Alan Moore's not a recluse. He just doesn't like to travel. I mean, this is a local show and for a good cause. So, you know, you can get him to leave the house. He loves to leave the house, apparently. But, yeah, but I, <laughs> he loves it. But he was, he was getting out doing yeah. things that yeah. were not Comic-Con. Yeah. Well, he doesn't much. He wasn't yeah. appearing. Yeah. He just was not making comic appearances. And someone who I had the, the good fortune to sort of work behind the scenes on the, uh, the video streaming uh, interview that uh, Joyce Brabner organized uh, as a memorial of Harvey Picard. And he, uh, he was, without a doubt, one of the most delightful people to sit and listen to. Uh, uh, you, you, anyway, he's not a recluse. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I was. I was not asserting any such thing. I swear. No, 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 no I know you no, weren't. No, I, ju- I know you weren't. I just wanted to just throw wanted in to there. Bat right. down to, uh, to any notions that are out there in the, you know. in the outside yes. world. No. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, on another British comic topic, less happy the dandy that revered old children's comics anthology magazine, which has been around since 1937, has been canceled because in the second half of 2011. Their circulation went down to 8,000 copies when, at their height, they were in the millions. And, um, unfortunately, it was no longer with us. After it generations is, of children grew up It is pining it. for the fjords. Well, <laughs> it is friend. survived by the Beano, which continues <laughs> to have a healthy circulation. I love that the Beano is like like 30,000 copies more than the Dandy. So, well, you know. for, uh, uh, excuse my ignorance, but uh, the Beano is, I assume, a British uh, Also a British children's anthology well. uh, magazine of comics um, that has been coming out for many, as many old, years. As old as uh, the Dandy, but n- or not. Yes, but old. Yes, it's a, they're they're contemporaries. They yes. are contemporaries, right. approximately the same age. Okay. And um, still on the topic of older comics and comic creators, we've talked about Jack Kirby a lot. Okay. We're going to talk about Jack Kirby a lot more in the near future. But we have a Jack Kirby related news brief this week, despite the fact that he is long no longer with us. His granddaughter, Jillian Kirby, who is sixteen, came up with a brilliant idea for a way for fans to show their continuing ongoing love of Kirby. Um, For his birthday on August 28th, she has suggested to the Internet that people might donate to the Hero Initiative in his name because Jack Kirby is famous for having had a lot of trouble with rights with the big two. And Hero Initiative is a fan and industry way of helping out a lot of creators who are not doing so well financially. And uh, you you, you have to go uh, online and see the charmingly wooden uh, performance (laughs) she gives in in, in announcing this, and and I'm saying this with deep love and respect. Um, uh, It's a very charming uh, uh, yet stilted performance, but uh, (laughs) she also asked um, for uh, uh, to take today to go and visit a local comic shop 
And I think it's one more aspect to um, the, the her uh, proposal. But uh, it's all the lines it. to to but go out, support comics, support your local store, and uh, and to uh, provide a donation. That's what it is to the Heroes Initiative. Yes, yes. you know online. And, yeah. um, so certainly yeah. things that we all uh, support here absolutely. at More to Come Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So we um, endorse. So remember that day. Yes, yes. Bookmark the Hero Initiative. August twenty eighth. August twenty eighth. Give often, give early. Yes. Um, and? And that's that for this all, week. All right. Well, abbreviated summer hours here. Yes. As, as well, actually, fact, not that abbreviated. We're at 30 minutes nearly. So. And uh, as we end Our this, I'm rushing length. off uh, to do a live event at the Greenlight uh, Bookstore in Brooklyn with uh, Christopher Irving and uh, Seth Kushner about Leaping Tall Buildings, well, uh, their book of... Uh, a book about the classic and legendary and up-and-coming new comics. Well, Calvin artists. is going to be leaping burrows here. So yes, anyway, absolutely. until next time, more right. to come. Always more to come. come.